0: Our children are being emotionally devastated due to both COVID, the quarantine, and the social justice pressures that are being placed on them. It is such a confusing world right now and so much pressure on them. Meanwhile, adults wanna play politics and our children are suffering. They're suffering from anxiety, depression and grief. At what price the greater good? At what price? I'm Sarah Heiner and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. We are gonna look at those issues today. We're gonna talk to a leading psychiatrist who works with families and children. Don't forget please to rate and review this podcast when you're done so that we can help as many people as possible. Hi there, Facebook. How are we today? Welcome to Thursday with Sarah Heiner and the Bottom Line Advocator. Um, I'm so glad you're here. We have a really important topic today to talk about. COVID has taken obviously physical toll on all of us, huge physical toll on all of us. Um, The price that we have paid to protect all of us from dying, to keep the numbers as low as possible, let our healthcare system catch up. The debate has been the emotional toll, the financial toll, all the other you know, collateral damage of this of this disease. And we're going to talk today to Dr. Leah Lease about that emotional toll and the price it's taking, in particular, on our kids. And, you know, it's been the COVID. It's also been all this emotional unrest, the societal unrest that's gone on. The amount of pressure that we have taken in ourselves and what is going on that all of us are dealing with right now, um, so important. So that's what the topic is today. I'm going to introduce Dr. Lee's in just one second. Uh, let me just remind you that uh, we have a growing library of these videos. Um, they're in the Facebook page in the video section here. You can also go to Bottom Line Inc's YouTube page, subscribe there, we put all those in. We also have hundreds of them that we've been collecting through the years, other interviews that I've done over the years. So come on to that, tell your friends about these, share these, you can share these, you know, let them know we're doing these um, and share, share once, we, once they run. You can come back and watch it again. So you can always, even though we have these times at four o'clock on Thursdays, you can always come back. We always rerun them. And again, they're always in the library. So don't feel like you're gonna miss it if you can't be here right then and there. Um, Let's see what else. If you have questions, uh, post them on up there. We will see, someone is supposed to be feeding me questions but they're not answering me today because welcome to live. So post them up there though. So if I don't get to talk to them right now, then put them up there and Dr. Lisa and I will follow up with you and give you the answers after the fact because I'm sure that a bunch of you have all sorts of questions. What should I do? My kid is doing this. How do I answer them? I've got a teen. They're blowing up at me. You name it. Uh, So here we go. Let me introduce, let me bring on Dr. Leah Lease. Hi there. Hi. All right. right. I got to read all the bullet points so I'm sure that I get every detail of your wonderful bio for everybody. Um, So Dr. Lease is known as the shameless psychiatrist, actually. She's a double board certified adult and child psychiatrist, and she's, got, um, assi- she's an assistant clinical professor at New York Medical College, works with people of all ages, actually, um, children and families, because children can't be worked with in isolation. It's all about the family besides. Um, uh, and she works, she's got a practice in New York as well as out on Long Island. Um, she's got a brand new book called No Shame Real Time. No, let, let's start again, No Shame, Real Talk with Your Kids About Sex, Self-Confidence, and Healthy Relationships. And that just launched, so that's available on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. I presume it's available digitally as well as in print, however, yep. whatever yep. form that anybody likes. Really important stuff, but we're not going to talk about sex today. Uh, we're going to talk about other things. Um, and i also just say also, you know, I love this on your website, Leah, that um, your goal in life and practice is to help all parents raise strong, secure, and resilient children who become strong, secure, and resilient adults. And I think that is probably one of the most important things that we as parents can absolutely do. Our job is not to be their friends. Our job is to help them become great citizens. Um, and let me just give your website for anybody that wants to learn more about you, your practice, and your book, Dr. Leah Lies, doc, uh, Dr. Leah, dot com. So welcome. Thank you so much. It's, Thank you. So see you. Yeah, it
1: sounds so good. I love it.
0: It's always important, right? <laughs> You don't realize how good you are. It's always nice to be introduced. And you go, wow, what a
1: nice, how, how good yeah, All those degrees on the wall behind me, I
0: guess, look, have paid off. <laughs> look at those. See, you are official. You have all those certificates. All right. So meanwhile, we're having a very happy moment in the midst of a very unhappy time for an awful lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. So give me just kind of a high level, what you've been, you've been dealing with the, you know, kids of all ages for the last six months on this or so. Mm-hmm. What have you seen? Where is it now as the kids are going back to school? Give me just like a high level just to frame it for starters. I think that the high level is the
1: increase in a lot of the anxiety I've seen amongst my you know, normally not so anxious teens, um, and a boomerang effect from my anxious teens is kind of ironic because the ones who hated school are now less anxious um, because they don't have to go to school. But the ones who you know were pretty typical with their anxieties levels are now way more anxious um, because they're having problems with connecting and loneliness. And there, a new study came out that said. You know the rates of loneliness in girls went up from thirty-three percent to seventy percent. I'm not saying boys are immune from loneliness, but girls are like absolutely, utterly hardwired to be social. Uh, anybody with a teenage girl knows that. Um, and without that face-to-face contact, they are really struggling um, with with their depression and anxiety um, because so much of it we don't understand. Like we're hardwired to be social in person. There's a lot of pheromones exchange, like, you know, young girls, bestie friends, they'll cycle together in terms of their menstrual cycles. Like, you know, they are like hard, like they need that dopamine reinforcement of face-to-face contact and touch. And, you know, I'm not saying boys also need it too, but uh, girls seem to be in my practice suffering a little more because of that. Um, The other huge problem I'm seeing, go ahead, you can interrupt.
0: Okay. So has that changed at all? That uh, The character of what they're experiencing early on, it was like, what's this what's this thing now I'm home all that initial isolation has that changed at all now when they're going back to school that like is the fear different the frustration different at all you know a
1: lot of my teenage girls are not that afraid and boys I should say are not that afraid necessarily of getting sick um because I don't think they have the same uh risk understanding as adults, you know, their, their development of their understanding of risk is way different from adults because they don't have the wisdom of experience. Um, and, and teenagers are not always that risk averse, but I do think a lot of them are, some of them are obviously afraid, especially those who may have OCD or other things like that, but you know, more, it's more that they're just, they feel hard done by, like they feel like they're getting, you know, they're, they're not going to their dances. They're not missing their prompts. They're missing their graduations. They're, and they're just like, this is just terrible. Like, woe is me. And like they're having a little bit of a pity party. And that sort of hit click in around graduation time where, you know, all those things that go along with the end of the school year, they were
0: deprived of.
1: And yeah, it um,
0: really was a whole grief. Like it really was deep grief for mm-hmm. things that they lost and they'll never get back again.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Graduation. parties, bar mitzvahs for young kids, whatever it was, the bouncy house that they were looking forward to for their seventh birthday.
1: And this is not a generation that was used to any kind of adversity, at least most of my peers will tell you that they never went through 9-11. They never went through any kind of adversity. This is their first major generational trauma that they've experienced. And they were kind of ill-prepared because I hate to say it, but we've kind of like coddle that generation in a lot of ways parents are very involved there's a lot of like you know they get you know tutors they get you know, everything is you know of course this all depends on your socioeconomic status but that generation was kind of coddled and all of a sudden they had to face this massive adversity and they were not prepared um and so they really were grieving it was it was tough
0: yeah well and i was gonna ask you actually like how this generation yes. like or what with what you're seeing relative to so you're seeing people in New York so um, in what you've read or studied in terms of the impact of this on past crises, be it Hurricane Sandy, where people lost houses and lost,
1: uh-huh.
0: um, you know, they, they lost power for weeks a you know, different kind of traumatic things. Katrina obviously was very traumatic for a lot of people, not in this of area. Course. 9-11, as you said, the, the kids didn't experience, but a lot of their parents do remember it and you know, that it all filters around. So what's, is this, similar in any ways to that or is this just so unique because none of us i mean literally the country has never dealt with this before
1: well i think the the people who did you know go through katrina you know go through those kinds of traumatic experiences were in some ways better prepared because they were already used to sacrifice you know they had to build up their house again they had to move whatever i think a lot of the other the 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 difference between that and now it's like this is the whole nation like it, it's a, col- it's a collective trauma for the whole nation. I think, you know, 9-11, they, those kids don't remember that. So, you know, now kids these days don't remember that parents might, but even that was very New York centric in terms of how hard it hit people, the most traumatized people were in New York and, you know, in Washington or wherever the plane hit. And I think that um, this is like a nationwide trauma. It's like, it's so interesting. I mean, it's worldwide really, but, you know, just in terms of what, you know, this is, this is, every kid, every kid has a personal story. Every kid will remember this like it was yesterday, you know, like when Kennedy was shot, everyone will remember missing their problem. Everyone, my daughter will always remember missing her birthday. You know, she'll never forget it. Right. You know? And so for them, this is their life changing moment and it can be an incredible, powerful force for good because adversity makes us stronger. Um, or, of course, if they don't have resiliency in you know their community and in their own genetics, it can be uh, the start of, some, of an unraveling.
0: So is there... Let me talk two pieces at one time. Let me bring in the, the concept of all the social unrest that's going on at the same mm-hmm. time. And then I want to talk about resiliency and a lesson in resiliency for kids because the social unrest as well is about... A, in some ways, a grand scale of besides justice and unfairness and all that, there's also a grand scale of disappointment, and that, that's part of all of it as well. So, does the how how is the the social unrest layering on the COVID? Are they two separate pieces to the kids? Are the kids impacted or feeling all that all of us parents are feeling in this at this moment in time? because I don't know about you, but, you know, me, I, the the pain of the the politics, the not being able to say something, the lack of freedom of speech because someone's going to judge you, and and the lack of tolerance and acceptance. Like, the parents are acting as such, the grown-ups in terms of our behavior is so so childish, I'll call it. Um, yeah. That's 14 things all rolled up in one. Could you unpack that, please, to us? Stop. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
1: um, I mean, parents... Are addicted to the news right now. Everybody, you know, partially because we can't go out and be as active as we used to be, so we're on TV and devices a lot more. But also um, because it's so it's so stunning. Nobody's ever seen anything like it, and so I'm sure this is like one of the most watched debates ever. And a lot of kids are are, are hearing it and seeing it. You know, they're actually seeing it on you know, social media. They're tuning into it with their parents, and. It is so incredibly negative and every study ever done on happiness shows that when you surround yourself with negativity, you will get drowned.
0: And the educate what they're doing in the schools in terms of the messaging mm-hmm. and this you know grant there's no question the education system needs to adjust. messaging has to be solved, but the, not the, the presumption that everybody <laughs> has to feel the same and think the same, and those with differing opinions are not allowed to kids that are being told to feel guilty because, because of how they're born, you know, it's, it's it is exactly what we're trying not to yeah. do, but it's this yes. very kind of confusing messaging for kids.
1: Yeah, it is. And call out culture, it actually, the, cancel culture, call out culture was invented by teenagers. I mean, they were the first ones to get into the lunchroom and say like, he's out, like, you know, he, you can't sit at my table. I mean, this is not invented by adults, right. you know, and it just kind of got brought to a high level when social media came around and now everybody's kind of, you know, shaming everybody else. And, you know, you cast the first stone and it, it is so out of control right now. Uh, And, you know, everybody's being told to feel shame, you know, you shamed if you're white, you're shamed if you're, you know, if you're in a heteronormative relationship, what would you know about, you know, what it's like to be somebody else? And yeah, you know, that Burns down bridges, and and I have written an article about call out culture, and I really feel that you know you need to address it head on, like uh, with your teenager, and talk about call out culture, and just look at their social media and say, wow, they're all ganging up on that one kid. Like, you know, we all make mistakes, we all say things. Like, you know, they might make a, make fun of you know a Chinese person and say something stupid about a Chinese restaurant, whatever it is, or say something about the hung flu or whatever. Like, you you don't crucify that kid because you could say, Hey, that's offensive. I don't like that, but that's it. And be like, you know, let the kid apologize and be done with it. But it's this kind of idea that we have to then wall that person out because they didn't learn their lesson. You know what ends up happening? It creates extremism and it makes them even more, you know, depressed or isolated and and it works it totally backfires it's horrifyingly scary from my point of view because these kids come in depressed they want to kill themselves because they've been outcasted and you know th- this this has to be addressed head on by by administrators and children and we cannot be part of the problem we have to be kinder
0: and where we're trying to get kids to communicate and to speak and to be open is it all creating this fear of speaking, right? That they don't, because whatever they say is going to be wrong. They're, they're tipping on, to, they're, they're on their little tiptoes, not being able to say what they like or what they don't like, or to, to like, the, whatever is running through their head, they're not allowed to share for True. fear of cancel. I like this movie. I don't like, how could you like that book? You can't like that, book. how can you like that? that musician because they like Trump. No, that's bad. You can't like that. Like everybody is just yeah. at every level.
1: And they can't be their authentic self anymore. You know, like when they were a kid, how they, was a, their authentic self and they were running around in, you know, with whatever kind of toy they wanted or, and now they're embarrassed to say they like the toy. They're embarrassed to say they still, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons. Like it, it's just, it's crushing their soul a little. And, you know, I would say that, you know, that, we've got to stop being so making it so personal. Like if someone expresses their opinion about something, it's not about, you know, you and your, what you think about that other person's opinion. It's about, thank you for sharing that, you know, I might think about it a little differently, and it's like you have to teach children how to communicate. And I always say, like, basic communication skills should be taught in every school. I mean, I teach them all the time. You know, use I think, I think, I feel, I want statements. If you stink, if you stick with I think, I feel, I want, like, if you're offended by something, you say, I think that you didn't realize when you said about da da da. You know, I feel upset about it. You know, I want you to think about it next time and say it differently. You know, if you just say, yeah. you, you did this, you did that, you are rude, you are rude. You know, and then all of a sudden it just becomes a huge problem. So, you know, teaching them to be kind and actually like correcting yourself when you see see yourself doing like pol- politically, like this idea of, um, oh my God, forget it. I'm just, I, I can't stand this politics stuff. I'm just going to move to Canada. Like that's a little like, you know, you, you're part of the
0: problem when you do that. So you yeah, know? I, want, I want to talk about that piece of it. Let me just remind anybody, anyone who's watching this, if you've got questions or you've got sh- stories to share, po- post them on there and they'll, they'll pass over to me. I do have someone, someone is with me. You'll be pleased to know monitoring the Facebook page to forward along. So if you've got, if you're experiencing this, if you've seen it, if your kids have come home, you know, distraught, whatever, like share and let us know what you've experienced and what questions and, and what, you know, help part- participate in this conversation. Um, are these are these kids? Also, let's create like, let. oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, go Go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, let's create good, let's create amazing political citizens by modeling appropriate debate. And I know they do that in school sometimes, but you could do that at home. And I would say like over the Thanksgiving table next year, if you're going to talk about politics, instead of just having everyone yelling at each other, like have there be a ball and only the people at the ball can talk. So everybody gets to say, and then the next person who gets the ball has to reflect the pearls from what they just heard, even if they don't agree. It's this idea of, you know, teaching, actual listening to somebody else's point of view. So you could say, I hear you say that, you know, Biden might be too old to be president. However, I feel that and you could say that he is very sharp, you know? So it's like, and then you pass the ball and the next person makes their comment and then passes the ball. So it's like, you're modeling, like this is how we can
0: actually have a constructive conversation. So let's talk about that. So parents and role modeling, I'm my understanding, and you're the, you're the expert, that there's nothing more important in kids' lives and learning how to be great, resilient citizens than their parents as role models mm-hmm. and the adults around them as role models. So through all this, what you know, what are you seeing Parents doing and mistakes that parents are making, or what they're doing right, and the, you know, talk a little bit about what what the parents need to do. The messaging with regard to COVID and with the social justice. I mean, I just think it was just a double whammy in terms of the, the the parents. And I know a lot of parents who are mighty fearful. So you know, does their fear translate to their kids? Or as you said, they're not. They're kind of not paying attention to it. But I've seen kids in the park that kind of you know point a finger and go, "Oh no, she doesn't have a mask on," or you know, I'm within five feet of someone, I'm going to get sick, right? So that utter fear of that, like talk about the, the, the importance of parents as role models and guides to help their children process all of this.
1: Well, children, especially young children, completely get their uh, rules about society from what they, they just pair it with their parents here say. So if the parents are saying like, you have to stay six feet back, you have to wear a mask, you know, otherwise you might die, you know, obviously they're going to internalize that kind of fear and then be very, very fearful. Um, I always say to parents, like, you know, you want to tell them the problem, but you also want to tell them the solution to not scare them. So you might want to say, you know, there is a very serious disease called COVID, but we can keep ourselves safe if we wear a mask and if we wash our hands and, you know, because you don't want to like you know, not give them a solution and make them feel like there's no, they don't have any control over the outcome. And that's a very good authoritative approach to parenting, which means you are going to collaborate with them, you're going to explain things, as opposed to an authoritarian approach, which is like, just wear a mask because they told you so, and no, no explanation or a neglectful, which is like, you just don't say anything. And I think you have to, you know, spend the time to explain why things are happening, um, but also always give them solutions, but also be okay if they don't take them, you know, and say, okay, yeah, you you didn't take my advice. This happened. So how are we going to fix it instead of getting angry?
0: Right. Um, How important is it to help them with the, with getting out of the house, right? So in terms of you know, is it okay? You know, to return to my sports activities. Is it is okay to, you know, go back to dance or whatever activities they were with. Help them with healthy habits. You know, balance the, you know, whatever fear and paranoia versus, it's okay. And no, don't feel guilty that you now. The talk is that the kids are are super transmitters, perhaps even though they don't get sick. So you may never see your grandmother again.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that you, you need to make a decision as a parent, what your values are. And so if you have a grandparent in the home, oh, you know, you're probably going to be a lot less risk averse than if you don't, um, in terms of what you allow your kids to do. But once you figure, and that's, I'm talking about younger kids because teenagers is, we can have that as a separate discussion because they're not always going to listen.
0: Not less like less or more risk averse.
1: Yeah. If I've got a grandparent in the home, I'm going to be a little more careful. That's what I mean. Yes. We're going to be more risk adverse. And we're going to be more careful. And then you might say to your kid, you can't, I know your friends are going to dance and your friends are going to school, but we've made the decision you're not going because of this X, Y, and Z reason. And then you just explain it to them. It's not really up to them, younger children, to decide. But with teenagers, it's a whole different kettle of fish. And whatever it is that you decide to do, stick to and be proud of your decision. And you can always change if grandma decides to go to florida for a couple of months or whatever stay with the other you know relative then things might change but like once you make a decision stick with it and 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 don't be afraid to just you know be a parent and make a decision but you know when it comes to teenagers you can't just lay down the law good luck with that because um they'll just they'll they'll be subversive you know they're like they can just lie and do whatever they want as anybody as a teenager knows so you have it's got to be democracy It's got to be one vote, one vote. It's got to be compromise. And what I mean by that is can tell a teenage boy not to go see their girlfriend. Good luck. You know, I don't care how many grandparents are in the house. They might, you might be living in a nursing home. Good luck. And so you really have to like, you know, um, you know, say, you know, what, how can we compromise so you can get what you want and we can keep ourselves safe. And, you know, there is no way to be completely safe right now. So it's just a question of, you know, what risks you're going to take and are willing to take.
0: Well, with older kids is part of it also sitting down and, you know, it's always a fine line. Uh, and I never knew, you know, what, when, when to shift to talking to my kids who are now in their twenties as pure adults versus, you know, they're teenagers and you kind of think they're half adult, but not really. But in terms of talking to them in an adult like way, in terms of, here's the facts, let's work on a solution together. Like really t- talk to them, not talk down to them. So you said, it's not, you know, you can't, you can't wag your finger at a teenager because they're just going to wag a different finger at you back. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you can you can have the intelligent conversation. Say, let's try and go through this. And then, how important is that then to it, include them in the solution so that they're yeah. part of that and part of that plan?
1: it's it's compromised it's literally like a husband and wife relationship or whatever everything is compromised with teenagers compromise 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 you know there is no laying down the law there is no finger wagging it will always backfire. um and uh, you know and you might get what you want in the short run by being very 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 authoritarian but they won't really respect your decision they won't understand and they won't they won't become part of their values because they don't agree. So, you know, that's why it's like really important to like compromise and get them to agree. Cause then they're going to, they're going to listen and they're going to obey your rules because they believe in them. And that's the difference. So I'm, I know it's not a straight answer. I think you have to look at the risks in your home. You have to make a decision as a family. If you want your teenager to strictly quarantine, then you got to give them, you know, unrestricted assets to their phone so they can talk to their girlfriend, or maybe they spend a week over their girlfriend's house and they only come home after they've been COVID tested. You know, you got to come up with a compromise, whatever works for you.
0: One of the hardest things I think about both the COVID and the social justice stuff that's going on is the uncertainty and the timeline. Like the hurricane comes through and it's gone. And now, you know, you have to clean up the devastation, but there's absolutely no idea what the end game is on this originally it was bend the curve let's just get an understanding of this disease and then we can all go on with our life somehow that's shifted to anybody that dies that's a you know there's another person that got sick and every every illness is reported so that the the goal line keeps moving um so how do you help kids deal with the uncertainty of life at this moment in time because they because it's like i just want it done my daughter said this to me a few times. I, you know, my kids are nomads right now. I just mm-hmm. want it done. I want my life to be normal. Well, not. it's not going to be like it was, and that's not going to be for a while. So then what?
1: Um, tolerating uncertainty is not just a question for children. It's a question for all of us right now. Um, uncertainty is the worst uh, when it comes to anxiety, people fear what they don't know or fear something going to happen way more than they, ex- they actually fear an event. You'll fear a hurricane a day before your anxiety level go way up. than when the hurricane has hit your home, you know, then you're like calm because, you know, it's anticipatory anxiety. We don't know what's coming. That is the worst uh, psychologically. Um, so, you know, it is a great life skill to figure out how to tolerate uncertainty and uncertainty will be always. Um, so, you know, with young kids, I like to like use certain techniques like, uh, school age kids, I call it scheduling worry time. So when they're having worries, I will say, okay, let's write down all your worries and you can write them down through the course of the day. And then at night, you and I are just going to go over all of them, and we're going to worry about it all at once. And that's not great for adults too. Cause I keep a little, Um, you know, there's reminders on my phone of my worries. And then I just, you know, every time I have a new worry, I'll add it. And if it goes away, I'll click it off. And almost like seeing it there makes me feel like I've got
0: some control over it. So I love scheduling worry time. Is it important to classify your worries as realistic or not realistic? You know, because sometimes you can really catastrophize. Of course. Uh, So that is, you know, as you got your worries, you know, I've got the worry that I won't be able to have a play date with my friend tomorrow. And then you have the worry that my mother may die. Yes. So, or the worry that I'm not going to, you know, here it is September and I've got the worry that I won't be able to have my senior prom. Right. So do you you classify the different types of worries so that you, you know, start to to understand them from a rational point of view as well? Right on.
1: That's classic CBT, everything you just explained. And uh, yes, if you are, you know, if you're savvy, you can do that. And I do it constantly in my practice. So, it's like, what is catastrophizing? What is negative filtering? What is black and white thinking? What is fortune telling? Meaning predicting the future negatively. And you got to look at what's probable, not what's possible. So you could even rank your worries in order of um, probable versus you know p- um, possible, like possible being the most far out. And, and then you can look at them and say, okay. And some of the worries just hang around. They're just lurking worries. Like, what if my mother dies? And that could be every day. But I think just by being mindful of them and actually giving them, giving them uh, words and labels in our mind makes them a lot less scary. It, you know, it's, it's, it's less scary when you identify them. And then of course I would argue, you know, you should do something about them, which is rationalize them and, um, and not compartmentalize them. So they don't, you know, drift into every moment of our day. Like we're in our tennis match and all of a sudden we're worrying about whether or not you're going to get a college scholarship for tennis. Like it's, still, it's not going to help you in that moment. So you got to be present in the moment. So how do you clear your mind in the moment? And that's where some mindfulness techniques come in handy. For younger kids, I use tip skills, which is temperature, um, intense exercise, progressive muscle relax relaxation and paced breathing. Super easy. Temperatures uh put your some plush water in your head or put on an ice pack over your nose and mouth and hold your breath for 30 seconds. That makes your body think it's drowning and it's going to like shift everything down, shift your whole body down uh, in terms of your breathing rate. Intense exercise is like, I'll do this in my office. If my case, if a patient is having a temper tantrum, I'll just tell them high knees, high knees, jumping jacks, jumping jacks. And I'll just make them get their heart rate up and you can make your kid run around the house six times, you know? Um, and then uh, pace breathing is uh, five, five seconds in, seven seconds out it's for young children, I use three seconds in five seconds out because they're sometimes can't hold their breath that long. And then progressive muscle relaxation is just a very simple exercise of progress, of, um, of tensing and relaxing different muscle groups. Little kids are not going to just do this because they want to, they'll do this because you're going to give them prizes. So I recommend like, Hey, if you do this, I'll give you an uh, m M&M, and a sticker, a, you know, more screen time, whatever it is. And then it becomes habit and they'll start to do it all their own.
0: And how about, so let's talk about that. So those are the younger kids. How about um, this whole Um, the uncertainty for, how do you talk to the middle schoolers or the older kids? Well, that's where the beauty of the
1: cognitive piece comes in. You were just talking about because little kids won't really necessarily engage so much with the cognitive piece. Like what is a possible probable? They don't always understand all that, but like older kids do. So middle school starting to use like resources, like anxiety-free kids by bonnie zucker or super powered by um shefali are two great books self-help books it's where you can really start to identify the thoughts and say oh are these thoughts helping me are they not helping me and actually i recommend parents and kids do it together at the dinner table they each come up with one irrational thought and have everyone else at the dinner table talk about why they think that thought is not helping them and i'll like have them do these exercises to develop practice and um for later teens, like, I mean, just taking up a straight up meditative practice, you know, if they'd be willing to do it. And you know what, these kinds of things pay off so big for teenagers, I say reward them for it. Like, you know, tell them like, you know, if you practice a meditation, you know, and you really learn how, and I see that you're doing it I'll, you know, contribute towards your purchase of a car, I'll buy you a new iPad, whatever, because, you know, they can also be rewarded. And, Once they start doing it, as I said, we're creatures of habit. So you might have to reward them for it in the beginning, but then they're going to like it because it really does help.
0: Those are pretty big rewards. You're you're a generous rewarder. Well, with teenagers,
1: unfortunately, um, you know, I'm not talking about doing one meditation, Mm -hmm. but if they really take up a practice, take a course or whatever, teenagers are, you know, they're tough, you know. Of course, it's up to the family and their level of income, and maybe it's just a hundred bucks or whatever you can do, but like, or a new pair of sneakers. But you know these are all things that you know um, are gonna um, incentivize
0: kids to practice good, healthy mental habits. Um, okay the I have a question from someone. So someone has a question. Their daughter is in college and taking her classes from an off-campus apartment. Some friends are going to parties, but thankfully she refuses. But now she's feeling a bit isolated and she's down. So what advice can can this parent offer to that person? Um, what I can offer is to
1: figure out who in your community, that community that she's in apartment, you know, that group of kids, wherever she is off campus can COVID pod with her, like can create a community, you know, she is lonely and she needs to find a way. Now, obviously virtual is not the same. And so I would really encourage her to find those five friends who are willing to say, you know what? I don't want to go to that party either. You know, that's too many kids. Right. But let's, let's hang out, you know, just the five of us and we'll do our own things and we'll hike and we'll, you know, it's like the kids who like Dungeons and Dragons in college. And they play that they form their own little thing or the kids who don't like to drink. So they, instead they go join the camping club. You know, it's like, there's a, there's a key for every lock. Like she needs to find her people yeah. and maybe her search
0: needs to be a little wider meaning like also that she's that they're falling into this all or nothing thinking mm-hmm. that it's either i can yeah. go to the party or i'm sitting alone in my basement but yeah we are allowed to go out to the park i, I walk my dog at the mm-hmm. park every day it's been beautiful seeing in the last few months all the picnicking you know the groups of people yeah. out there so that there are there is a middle ground
1: yes yeah, exactly Exactly. So she's black and white thinking like I either go to this party and put myself in an unsafe place or I'm alone. And that is not the only answer. So the only answer, the answer is to broaden her search, find like minded kids, and you know, adults who are interested in what she's interested and, in, you know, whether it's a great time to really explore sporty things, you know? So, you know, it, it, I don't know where this person is yet. I don't know if you said New York, but you know, you can run in the winter. You can, you know, you can bike ride in the winter, you, you know, buy some really good gear. You know, this is your opportunity to buy ski gear. And like, you can get out there. I mean, it's gonna be cold, but you'll be fine. Wear a hat. And like, you know, it doesn't get that cold. You know, just find a way to be safe, but also, you know, and also, you know, you might feel comfortable with this small group of kids to be inside, and you'll take that risk. And you'll, you know, because you need that face-to-face contact, which most people do.
0: So a lot of kids have connected uh, virtually. So is that the same If if I've got, you know, there's Netflix party and things like that, or there are a few of these things that people can drop in. But biochemically, is it the same for me to have some Zoom party as it is? How important is it to actually be in physical proximity to people?
1: I mean, I hate to say it, but very. And and listen, I was all for the Zoom parties, I'm all for the virtual, you know, gaming for these teenagers, which I hated a year ago. If you asked me a year ago, <laughs> should I let my teenage boy sure. play, you know, um, uh, War of the World or Minecraft or whatever they're playing with their friends, I would have been like, no way, you know, like, let them socialize in person, you know, but now I'm like, like okay, fine, it's better than nothing. At least they're not alone. Yeah. Um, however, is not the same. I mean, I can't even tell you how important nonverbal and uh, chemical interactions are for the humankind. I don't think we have nearly enough depth of understanding of that yet. Um, We're going to figure out more as time goes on, but like in the midbrain, in the lower brain, so much communication goes on through, you know, smell. I mean, just like other animals, we are animals and we cannot forget that. So, you know, as I said, like the dopamine centers of kids brains go crazy when they're in physical contact with others. And, you know, yeah, we don't have a depth of understanding of how it's going to affect them. So no, it's not the same. However, you know, given
0: the risk of the situation, it's as good as we're going to get right now. Although again, as the country's opening up some States more than others, right? So New York is quite locked down, but a lot of places are not that locked down at all. And they're trying desperately because of this Risk reward of being locked up versus going out. They're trying to be more open, um, so to also allow that and then, you know take the chances. There's you know there's things that are being written. I read something by David Katz today about herd immunity, about the you know the the um, growing tolerance levels or the herd immunity throughout that's increasing. Um, they don't fully you know we haven't contact traced it enough, but that it's part of the process that's going on. Um, Well, this is a zero-sum game. Like, we're either going to get the vaccine or get this virus. There's no way out of it
1: now. The cat's out of the bag. So, you know, I think some people have been really smart about it. Like, college campuses are are saying, okay – as long as you stay on campus, you're not allowed to go home. That's why they've kept them all the Thanksgiving. They're not throwing them out saying, well, now you have COVID, so go home now they're quarantining them in another dorm where, because they know they're not going to get that sick. I mean, I'm not saying it's possible, but the real risk is to spread at home. So it's going to create a herd immunity quickly on college
0: campuses, you know, and that's a good thing. Back to when kids are expressing their concerns and problems. So parents, parents have a tendency to, Downplay sometimes, you know, because your kid is saying they're sad or they're frustrated or they're whatever they are, and parents sometimes have a tendency to want to be encouraging, right? Get them through it. Oh no, honey, it's not that bad. Don't worry about it. You know, you'll get through it or whatever. Um, is that a good strategy or a bad strategy? To because you want you don't want really with them wallowing per se. You want to acknowledge it, but you don't want them to wallow. So you try to get them to go to the other side. Like, what's what's the fine line or balance when when a kid is expressing their concern? for the parents' response, you know, the, the balance of indulgence
1: yes, you, versus- You do want to show empathy and warmth to their emotional life because that actually teaches uh, warmth and responses uh, responsiveness. Um, children who are not shown empathy or blown off are do to tend to have like borderline personality disorder or other issues um, because they never felt understood. They have anger issues. Um, Yes. You definitely want to validate. And I really love the idea of this, you know, DBT skills, dialectical behavioral therapy skills, which just say, actually, let's not run from the emotions. Let's run towards them. Let's sit for a moment, you and I, and cry and feel grief. And I'll be here with you and I'm going to hold your hand and you can cry as long as you want. Like, I get it. This is really hard, you know? And then after the moment of crying, you can be like, okay, well, you know, we can't spend the whole entire day crying because it's, you know, that's, you know, on the other, you know, our 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 body is like, you know, an anchor on the bottom of the sea. The crying will pass. So then now that we've sort of cried it out and feel better, what's next? And the next is like, it not to just say it doesn't matter. It just means that we're survivors and resilient people and we can cope. And like, so if there's a solution, like um, a compromise or some way you can make it better, let's do that. But if there's not, Let's just accept it. You know, life is full of challenges. And like how we have, well, yeah.
0: As you said trying to get resilient children that that's part of it is helping them learn to cope and learning to the pathways to solution or acceptance that you can't, we can't, we, they can't control their lives as much as they'd like to. As you said very early, yeah. We have a generation of kids who really have not suffered. They've really had their every, every whim whim satisfied, including participation trophies. They haven't been, legal. yeah. Um, and it's important for them to learn those skills of disappointment, I guess.
1: Yeah, and, and sitting with grief and just sitting with it and not trying to make it go away. And that's that's how you repackage emotions. So, Because if you push them down you ignore them, they come up as anger, especially in teenagers, every time. You, you push down a depressed kid, you tell them not to worry about it, they become angry. You push down anxiety in a young kid, they become angry. Anger is their default emotion. Yeah. The, that's why you got to you got to foster the other emotions. You got to let them out, so that way they cannot uh, they can be healthy in every and have the full range of
0: their emotion, which is what you want. That's so important. That's so important. And a lesson me, I'm always like, okay, let's move along. But no, that's so important to just give them their moment of expression and feeling. Yeah. Um, let me let's talk for a minute about symptoms, and then I'll let you go. So. What kind of symptoms should parents be on the lookout for? Because again, teens in particular, they're slamming the doors. They're behind the screens now, you know, more than ever. Um, So what kind of symptoms should parents be on the lookout for that their kids are struggling beyond, I'll call it a little bit of normal disappointment and frustration right now?
1: Um, There are certain red flags for suicide that parents should be aware of. And that's for me as a psychiatrist, that's always the thing that, you know, that I'm most concerned about because can't come back from that. So I think you really look for things like social isolation, obviously beyond COVID, like they're not really turning on their phone. They're not lighting up when people are calling them. They're in, you know, saying they don't want to take the phone. If you know, friend calls, um, you want to look at that as a huge red flag. You want to look at, um, really pay attention. If other children tell you something about your child is a lot of times these kids will know they'll say, you know, they'll come up to you as a parent and say, I'm really worried about, you know, your son. Like he said some stuff to me, pay attention. That's really important. You know, never blow that off. Uh, the third thing is looking at things like, you know, declining grades, decline in grooming. And then, um, last but not least, really look at, um, uh, always ask, you know, if you're afraid they might harm themselves, ask, do you want to harm yourself? Do you feel suicidal? Do you want to kill yourself? Like, tell me, I really want to know it's important. Oh, and then look for cutting, look for any signs of self-mutilation or injury, because that's a huge red flag.
0: So that's all for suicide. But how about before before they get to suicide, just basic, you know, trying to hold basic depression, anxiety, et cetera, trying to keep, you know, Catch them before they get to that point. Yeah, Signs that that parents should look out for. And again, young kids are there, I'll call it as, you know, basic soothing mechanisms of rocking or hitting, hitting their heads or whatever. Like, is it, you know, that kind of stuff? Well, young kids,
1: it's like regression. You know, are they
0: now bedwetting again? Are they
1: resorting to tantrums they might have resolved already or earlier developmental stage things that you know you know you thought were gone come back like that's a flag uh another flag for um middle school age children is is the same thing social isolation not wanting to uh burying their head poor grooming um coming down to dinner with like the hoodie over their head or refusing to come down um those are the things you know similar to suicide but also are indication of something that's really wrong. And of course, risky behavior, like that's new, you know, um, that they hadn't seen before drug use, that kind of stuff.
0: How do you break through? It's so hard when you have a a middle schooler or a teenager who doesn't want to communicate. So how do you open up a pathway to communication for them to let them feel safe, to be able to talk and express their fears and concerns?
1: I, that's where I love social media. Social media is genius for that. You know, you just, I mean, you just whip up their social media accounts. Hopefully you've already friended them and whatever. Cause I, I, it's young kids, especially they shouldn't have unmonitored accounts, but like, it's a great time to say, Oh, I see this kid is doing this. What do you think about that? And just really like really um, open questions. like, "Whoa, what do you think about this? Or, and you don't have to ask them direct, never ask them direct open-ended questions. This Mm -hmm. is a surefire way to shut down a teenager is to say, how was your day? You know, Um, instead you could say, oh, I heard you got a new teacher. What do the other kids think of them? You know, something like that. Very directed questions, targeted questions in which it's called forced choice. That's what I, so when I have kids come into my office, you know, especially teenage boys, because teenage boys are sometimes more quiet. I always ask them forced choice questions. I'll say things like, do you like your mom or your dad better? I mean, it's a very kind of like charged question but it's so amazing what I hear when I say that you know or who 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 gets more angry your mom or your dad and then I get like a whole thing but if I were just to say like how do you get along with your mom and dad they wouldn't answer you see so it's like you really have to 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 think about how you
0: ask yeah this is trying to just get them to talk about something no matter what
1: yeah just get them talking and and through that process they'll get it's like exposure they'll get used to talking to you and then they'll start to open up especially if you never judge them or get them into trouble for what they're saying and you don't come down on them. or You don't dismiss them saying things like, Oh, don't worry about that.
0: Just listen. Spend a lot of time listening. Are there any unique tricks or special tricks for parents with kids that are away? Um, you know, like this person that had the question about her daughter being in college. Fortunately, that daughter seems to communicate well with her, but you know, there's so much that parents don't see and that's okay. That's, you know, college is, is kids finding their ways on their own. But again, at this point in time, between covid and with the social justice stuff that's going on on campus where, where kids are just fearful to communicate and fearful of the you know the bullying the pointing fingers the click like all that aspect of things any in per, thing in particular for parents of college kids
1: i mean the cyberbullying is crazy right now the statistics are nuts it's like mm-hmm. one in five kids have been cyberbullied. you know there's like like you know um one in 25 kids have been uh, approached by sexual predators on the internet. Like, it's just crazy. And so there's a lot of that goes on. And um, you know, the best advice I could give is, um, you know, try to keep yourself safe in that regard and, you know, don't meet up with anyone you don't know, things like that. But when it comes to like, how do you know how to be PC enough? Or how do you know what to say? Or, you know, just be you, just be your best self. And if you make a mistake, you know, a little bit of apologetic 90 to T will go a long way. Just like, Oh, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sorry. Next time, you know, I'll do it, say, or do it differently and hope that that's enough because there's no way to 100% while yourself up for off from it. But you've got to be you like you've got, if you like something, somebody else doesn't like, so be it. It eventually will work out because you will manifest the people who will
0: share your interests and you'll be way happier. What do you think is going to happen to this generation? And I guess we actually have a couple of generations, um, 10, 15, 20 years out. You know, the, the depression obviously scarred, I'll use that, you know, the term loosely, you know, scarred that generation, World War II scarred that generation, you know, the uncertainty, the fears of that. What's this going to do? in the future well i
1: i think we'll never be the same in how we handle germs you know i think there will be a lot more contact um for for a really long time if not forever like how we handle colds, and if you have a cold you'll be asked to wear a mask. like they do in asia already but um like i used to send my kids to school if they were sick i mean I almost barely never kept them home. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I wouldn't send him to school. <laughs> you know, I mean, not during COVID, but even in, in beyond COVID's over because I would be like the running nose um, because now I'm like more conscious of spreading germs. But I think that's one thing and then that will never change. And the second thing that will never change is that um, that people will, I think, be a little, I don't know, be a little more insular um, than I think we'd ever seen before. Like, I think we will find that people will have a hard time being as open with strangers. And that to me is sad.
0: Yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to, we could be on the look for that and help people into that because humans do need contact. As you said, we need to touch, we need to be in the vicinity of humanity. Mm-hmm. We, we are animals in a good way. So, yes. All right. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Lili, we- thank you so very much. Um, Good luck with your book. Again, that's called No Shame, Real Talk with Your Kids About Sex, Self-Confidence, and Healthy Relationships. Thank Um, you. And your website, drlealease.com. So I really appreciate you being with us. If anybody has questions, again, post them on the Facebook chat. We'll be monitoring it. So we'll get you answers back to it because this is a really, really complicated time. So thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I'm talking to Dr. Leah Leese about the emotional toll that the pandemic and the social racial battles are taking on our children. This has been a sad, frightening, and painful time for youngsters, and helping them through this in an emotionally safe way is vital to the future success in all areas of their lives. Helping people find the strength and having the knowledge to face challenges is one example of what our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, is all about. Helping people do better and feel better. We talk to only the best, most qualified experts to provide actionable advice, not just in healthcare and emotional health, but in all aspects of life, including financial planning, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.